Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back. For another week and at schedule time, we were a bit worried that this was going to go out a little bit late this week, but we are here recording in advance and I'm delighted to say that we're going to be sticking to the schedule despite what the World Cup might throw at us. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is our rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Oh, it's good to stick to a schedule, isn't it, mate? Feels good. Feels right. Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted, really. Like, honestly, I c- couldn't be happier. And of course, our newly birthday transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Happy birthday, DJ. I think it's like n- newly birthed. And they're like, no, no, it's been a while <laughs> yeah. now. It's been, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, been, been, a it's been a while. Um, I do feel born again. Yeah, I do feel born again. 
life is good boys life is good um thanks yeah had a really good weekend um was missing for a few patreon episodes so apologies for that if you listen to that and you had to listen to sam and jack for three days in a row but uh me and sam were back for the dean and sam show last night so uh that was a nice little reunion uh yeah it was it was a good birthday thanks mate i had a fair few drinks on the saturday and after that the next two days didn't didn't delve too deep into it just just had a nice nice chilled family time a lot of cup of, cups of tea at this age mate a lot of, lots of cups of tea get some pizzas in yeah, had a few. <laughs> 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 really need to watch that cholesterol. That's going to be the thing that the crack. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, by the way, a man who is what two months old, uh, younger than you, in Pepe, is still prancing around on the world stage playing elite really level professional football. He turns forty Jesus. in February, I believe. Um, so really, he's put you to shame there, mate. I reckon I've got a better life than him. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think I could put up a good argument. I think I've got a better life than Pepe, and I think I'm a better person. Uh, well, I we thought we ditched hot takes <laughs> as, an, as an introductory segment. Yeah, we did. We did take hot takes out when we left Bleacher Report, but um, but alas, apparently they're still going. No, um, no. DJ's DJ's getting old. Maybe he's forgotten. And um, right, <laughs> let's talk about these quarterfinalists shall we there's eight of them eight teams left in this world cup and today sam you're going to rank them for us in order of or how likely you think they are to win the world cup so that's gonna be parts one and two of this episode and then in part three we're going to pour some out for some fallen soldiers of this world cup teams or players or managers that we are sad to have lost and we wish all the best, all happiness as we go into this festive season of goodwill. But with that, Sam, over to you. Yeah, so I've ranked the final eight, ranked them based on how likely they are to win the tournament. Look, obviously there's a, there's a bit of assessment here. You know, you're trying to analyse exactly how good these teams truly are. There's also a bit of bracketology at play as well, of course. You have to look at how the teams have fallen in the bracket, what the matchups are, and try and mesh it all together. As we go through each of the eight teams, I'm not just going to sing their praises, um, which is obviously the kind of easy and natural thing to do. I'm going to try and pick out where each of them are weak or where each of them lack to try and give a balanced argument as well and maybe give a bit of analysis as to how any of these guys can be beaten. To be fair, at number eight, it's not going to be particularly hard to beat this lot, Croatia. Um, on paper, you know, squeezing through a group that includes Belgium and then beating Japan to get to the quarterfinals, on paper, that's good work. In practice, at this NFL World Cup, that. it's not that special, unfortunately. Um, they're not that good, Croatia. Apologies to any Croatians listening. I'm sure you'll agree with me, though. Uh, they have three exceptional footballers in Modric, Perisic and Gvardiol. And the rest are all, well, actually, Kovacic too. And then the rest say, are well all... rude. Yeah, Kovacic too. And the rest are all several, like, several levels down or a level down at least. Actually, no, Brozovic. Let's make it five and then the rest. Five and then they're the getting rest. better with every minute here. In about five minutes' time, you're going to say they've got 11 world class players. Do you know what? Let's put them in sixth. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think the key is right, obviously, the midfield. The midfield controls a game or can do, um, but it kind of feels like both their greatest strength and their greatest weakness because while they can control the pace of a game, they can only really do it to one speed, and that's a pretty slow one. And this team does feel a bit slow doesn't it? It feels a bit cumbersome. It really lacks a speed, a breakaway ability. It lacks an edge, like a really sharp edge to it. And I think that that hinders them in attack and it also hinders them in defense as well. So 
I do think they're the least impressive of the of the teams remaining, and they've got Brazil next. So I thought this was a relatively easy pick to start us off at eight. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, th- there's been some sort of contrasting opinions on the Croatia-Japan game yesterday because, Sam, you and I discussed it, obviously, over on our World Cup Daily show, and we were talking about the fact that Japan had been the better side in the first half. Um, in the second half, Croatia probably edged it, but by nowhere near as much as as, as Japan had done in that first period. And yet, you know, Croatia probably created, maybe the goal aside, the clearer opportunities in in terms of actually getting in front of goal. There was obviously Perisic getting away once from Tomiyasu and, and striking a shot at goal from there. There was a couple of aerial scrabbles in, in the second half that, that nearly fell for an, another player. And Ultimately, Japan defended quite well. They kept the ball relatively well, and they were they were very very dynamic off the ball. I thought in terms of trying to force things through, but you, you then go to that and you think, well, Croatia have seen that off. Obviously, it took penalties to do so, um, but they saw off Japan's like lightning fast directness, which we've seen cause a lot of trouble for Spain and Germany. I mean, Group E are actually out of the tournament full stop now. Um, Spain and Japan were the two sides that qualified, both yeah. knocked out in the round yeah. of 16. Um, so they are eliminated from said tournament. But when you look at this and you think about how, you know, how this is all panning out, that's a really good win for Croatia. And one that shows that they can just sort of sit in and soak things up from a team who are likely to, to go at them a little bit more than, than they are likely to go at their opposition. Yeah, I can mm. see I can see where you're going with it. Uh, my concern is that They've Japan already looked nowhere near as good as Brazil. That'd be my concern. Yeah, I it? mean, that'd be one of them. Yeah, I think that's probably part of it. I think that they've been on the ropes to a degree, maybe for, let's say for about one half or maybe 30 minutes in every game that they've played or maybe even longer. And they've been on the ropes against teams that aren't anywhere near as good as some of the top end ones here. So if Japan can put you on skates, but not quite finish finish you off for sort of 45 to 60 minutes, what the hell are these other guys going to do now? The ones that are left in this competition. I think, I think for Croatia, the, the pervading argument is it's a lack of quality um, and a lack of speed, and just those those little things that give you that dynamic edge when you when you're up against opponents that are this good. I think that's fair. DJ, got anything to add, or should we should we roll on to number seven? You can roll out for these lads because they are going out in the coming days. Okay, well, you, heard it here. <laughs> you heard it from Dean, and no, Dean's never wrong. Get, they can't beat Brazil. They have I to don't think the they can though. Okay, number seven. This is where I've put Morocco. Morocco are into the quarterfinals, and it is absolutely awesome. And to tell you the truth. I'd love nothing more than for Morocco to win this game so that we can finally stop referencing the fact that an African team has never made the semi-finals of a World Cup. It would just be lovely if this team, this Morocco team, were the ones to crack it and the ones to bring that record to a close. Because in every single game that we've seen them play so far, just the most remarkable amount of spirit and bravery and also tactical organisation and execution. And I think for all the right reasons, they've become the world's darlings in this competition, haven't they? I mean, if you've got a second team, it's Morocco. Even if you've got, if you, even if your nation's still in the World Cup, you're still, you're still wishing Morocco well. Um, we did think, didn't we, that the Spain matchup was potentially quite nice for them, and and mm. so it proved. I mean, they did need a bit of luck at the end, obviously, with Sarabia hitting the post in the 120th minute. But like, Morocco, this team, this team, Morocco team can they can destroy your rhythm. And they can grind through games and they can compress and disrupt 
and they can make that middle that middle ground an absolute fight. And what they did to Busquets in terms of screening him and removing him from the game did not surprise me whatsoever. They're tough to beat. They're tough to score against. They're actually tough to just get a shot on target against, genuinely, in 90 minutes. They just faced very few. Lots of big blocks flying in there and lots of good play to keep players away from their own box. They're also a pretty awkward prospect from set pieces. Ziyech, of course, has been very ingenuitive in that sense. And also, you know, big lads in the box, they can make an impact. The problem for Morocco is like, you do wonder like how many of these performances can they genuinely bring to the table before they just look too tired and potentially too injured. When you see players like Nayef Aguiad coming off, you know, earlier Mm. today, they obviously don't have the depth to deal with these absences and it does stack up, doesn't it, over the course of a really gruelling tournament. They've only conceded one goal. They've only conceded one goal under this manager, right? Never mind just at the World Cup. Since his manager has taken over, Walid Regragi, they've only conceded one goal. And it and was that goal against Canada, which was a really weird freak deflection. Yeah. The wrong footed the goalkeeper. That so is the worst team they've played. So you consider they've actually played Croatia, Belgium, and Spain are the other three games they've played. Like, that's probably the t- close to the toughest tournament anyone's actually had so far. Like, a lot of the big, a lot of the teams that are in the last eight now. They haven't played three teams that are supposedly of that caliber. I know like Belgium weren't very good and stuff, but they're still Belgium. Like that was still a, yeah. a big fixture to overcome and they had to grind it out before they scored two goals in the last 15 minutes or whatever it was. Um, so this is a team we we do have to take seriously. Um, obviously, like well, we'll talk about Portugal in a bit and this suddenly looks like probably a more difficult fixture than it might have three hours ago um, and, and that's probably the trouble but do you know what I, I think that with the mindset they've got with the belief with the uh, structure of their team now with a couple of standout players Ziek, you know in, in great mood and form and Hakimi you know so nonchalantly knocking in that penalty um, I, th- I think they'll just be in a really good way coming into this game and thinking like we have well, they do have something to lose because they they are they're making history here, and that they won't want it to end. But ultimately, they're not expected to go here and get a result, and they actually they actually can. Yeah, yeah, yeah I I agree, and I think it's really interesting. I think you're right, Sam, to put them at seven. Yeah, I but do equal, too. I think it's but the e- right spot. But equally, for them to be. this is probably one of those where you're going. I, I think they could win this game, and 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 you're right, Dean, as well, in that. Just after they won that game, I got there's no reason they can't go to semi-finals. Then Portugal dropped a masterclass. So so maybe we're going to discuss that in, in a bit more detail. Yeah. But you do look at this game and go, you know, if they can court if they can hold Spain to that, and to be honest, what does Spain have one shot on target in 120 minutes? You know, this is a side that have not just tucked in and and, and kind of got lucky and relied on the goalkeeper to make excellent saves. They have genuinely just sort of forced Spain to play around them. They didn't let Gavi and Pedri play. They they were so tactically astute today in the way that they set up yeah. and, and funneled Spain into areas where they just couldn't operate and couldn't get things going. And I think that there will be, you know, a lot of, of hope in this camp to, that suggests they can beat this Portugal side, especially if there's question marks over what that Portugal side will be. And we'll come on to that. But you, you look at this team, and I'm, I'm with you, Sam, in, in that I think that injury to Agueb might be absolutely huge because what we've seen is the fact that this side is brilliant. This first 11 
is extremely, extremely good. But the couple of injuries that they got before the tournament started, you know, Imran Loser should be here. Amina Harit should be here. There's a couple of other players, you know, who you'd imagine are in Morocco's first choice 26 if no one's injured. And I just wonder how deep this squad goes with another game in, in what, three three days? Or, or is this one on the Saturday? No, this one's on the Saturday. They'll be all right. Saturday, yeah. Um four days but still you know how much of this is a get out he, he was he looked pretty shaken and in tears as he as he left the pitch that's one of those you worry about fans will be annoyed about this well they, they should be but yeah ultimately <laughs> he's, he's he was so good today you know elia meek came in he's mostly played in this tournament as the the middle man in the back three when they've tried to see games out i think he did really well he actually made an incredible block from uh from a shot that, that he fired out for a corner that looked like it was going to be comfortably ticking again but yeah, uh, on the whole, I think they're an incredibly difficult side to play against. And if if they are at full fitness, if a guard's injury isn't that bad, et cetera, et cetera, then there's no reason they can't go one further. Yeah, it's about it's about how much more they've got to give. And of course, it's um, you know they're, they're trying to make history. They are making history. They're trying to make African history. They're at the World Cup. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity for a lot of these players. They're going to pour every. Last and their fans drop. are in unbelievable voice. They're going to they they're they're outnumber yeah. anybody else left at this tournament right that's where we're at yeah yeah they're going to pour every last drop into this I, I, I don't doubt it for a second um but it just depends on how much they've got in the tank how much is humanly possible for these morocco players it depends on a injury and also just to just to just to point out that like because Morocco beat Spain does not mean that Morocco can beat anybody. So, you know, matchups matter, and Spain felt like a really good, like upset alert matchup for Morocco. This Morocco team puts so much energy into their defensive stuff, and I'm not criticizing them for that, but they are a bit unbalanced, and they don't actually give themselves too much of an opportunity to attack and create clear-cut chance. They are a limited attacking threat. So each of these games that they play, you know is going to be a grind. They're never going to win by more than one at this point. It's possible that they're looking for extra time every time. They're looking to, to draw things out. This is all, and like, how much of that can you physically do? You know, they, if they go, if they get through to the final, it'll be the most physically taxing route to the final any team has ever, ever undergone. And that has to be taken into account. Yeah, but they're also on an anti-colonizers mission. Uh, they've knocked out Spain. They've got Portugal next. And, uh, well, then if they were to triumph in this one, they'd get either England or France. So, you know what? Major respect to Morocco. <laughs> You've always got some little avenue to explore, haven't you? Narratives narratives matter. <laughs> Points, they matter. You know, it I works. Do. It works. Let's go to number six. Okay, and number six. Uh, this is where it starts to get really interesting, I think. And there's a cluster of big names here and you can sort of divide them up. At six, I've gone for Argentina, who were my Whoa. pre-tournament favourites. Whoa. So something's gone on here. Mm. Um, the thing that's gone on is that I haven't been particularly impressed with them. Um, but I suppose for their sake, it's just a case of if you start as you did, i.e. losing to Saudi Arabia, all you can really ask of Argentina is they incrementally improve with every game, which at the very least they have. They've had certain players emerge, like Julian Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez. They've had certain players find their form, like Rodrigo de Paul and, to an extent, Christian Romero. Add all that to some pretty solid defensive work and, you know, Lionel Messi, and it has led them to this point. But ultimately, I do, I do look at the Argentina setup and defence in particular, and I do think that 
a very good attack, a very nifty attack, some good dribblers. If they just run at them, the cards will start to fall. And I do actually think it is still an issue just how reliant they are on Lionel Messi. Like, it's okay to have him at the center of your game plan. He's awesome. He's absolutely awesome. But they are so frightening reliant, reliant on him. It's um, it's causing me some consternation for sure. It doesn't help when Lautaro Martinez is the worst tournament of anybody and things like that. But, um, you know, they, they'll come up against teams from here who have very strong midfields, who block out the middle and work very, very hard to make sure that Messi never has a moment. Obviously, easier said than done. But if Poland can do it for 40 minutes and Mexico can do it for like 65, then I'd imagine the Dutch can, can do a pretty good job mm. of this. And I, genu- I genuinely wonder, like what, like, what do they have in response to that? Mm, yeah, look, Australia have scored against them. Saudi Arabia scored two against them. Like, you're now facing a, a serious, serious yeah. outfit. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I mean, hang on. Obviously, like, Australia obvious, scored obviously, a fluke deflection, yeah. and Saudi Arabia scored two worldies. I, I'm, I'm willing to put those things on the back burners. Me too. They're actually their defensive metrics look pretty strong. But and this is no disrespect, but like Saudi Arabia, Poland, Mexico, Australia. If we've been asking about certain teams and whether or not they've played anyone really threatening yet, are we really going to give too much credence to Argentina's defensive effort when that's the list of teams that they've played against? I'm probably not there with it. The, the, the next up is is Memphis and Cody Hakpo. Like, this is a world away, a world away from Craig Goodwin. Like, and a dysfunctional, like, disgraceful Poland team. We're in completely different stratospheres here. Yeah, I mean, this is their first difficult game since um, that Italy game in the summer. What was it called? Finalissima. They obviously won that like 3-0. But honestly, I don't think... I'm just actually trying to look through now just in case I've missed something. But I don't think I have. Like, this is the first big, tough game they've had. And maybe it is. You know, they beat Italy 3-0. Maybe it is that they now need that level rise to raise their own game. Maybe they, they need that motivation to, to push themselves up a level. It could easily be that. I mean, you look through the players in their team and that, that, that could easily be the case. And maybe it's that they need a challenge to overcome in order to, to actually find their groove. Um, so it's going to be interesting because they've got a lot to prove here. I mean, this is a side that came in, like I say, as one of the favourites. They've been on that huge unbeaten run. Um and they they just haven't just haven't impressed. They've been fine. They've been good in patches, but you haven't come away from any of their games going, "Cool, that was good." Cool, I really enjoyed that, or anything like that. There's there's been moments that you could look back on, but at no point. The way I really consider it is like, if England was to play this team, would I be worried? I don't think I would. I'd, I'd quite fancy our chances, and I probably think I probably tells you where they're at. Yeah, I, I think that that's a fair assumption and also a fair stance to take on Argentina. I would argue that I think they've actually weirdly been one of the more consistent sides of this World Cup because you actually look at the Saudi game and, and you look at it as one of those things that, yes, the, the mentality thing at the end is questionable and I think that there are issues there. But actually, in terms of the performance, Argentina are the best side you know, for, for the pretty much the entire game, bar five minutes maybe. Um and, and actually, you kind of look at the rest of the games and they've kind of gone to a similar pattern. Across this tournament, 
we've seen Argentina, yes, evolve in different ways that they're trying to find things out. And Sam, you and I talked about this on, on, a, on an episode before about the fact that Alvarez stretches the defence and gives that space for Messi to work in. We're seeing these kind of split two strikers with Messi behind them instead of the formations that we were actually watching last summer at the Copa America with the fact that Gila Celso is injured and Nico Gonzalez is injured. That kind of ability to, to struggle to find width. Um, but but I think that Argentina generally have been relatively consistent. There are faults with this side. There are flaws. But across the course of this tournament, I think they've kind of just been fine. And and I expect them still to beat the Netherlands on Saturday, on Friday, sorry. And with that, I wouldn't have been able to put them here below the Netherlands in that regard. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I've got the Dutch edging them, you know, and that's why the Netherlands are our yeah. next team in, in fifth place. Um, and it does feel like a bit of a coin flip here between the two because actually a lot of the arguments that you can apply to Argentina kind of apply to the Netherlands as well. Dean, you say that Argentina essentially haven't grabbed you at any point. Um, and I, I agree, they haven't grabbed me either. At no point have they have they made me say, wow, like like some of the other teams have. And I think the Dutch are in this boat as well. We're definitely yet to see them catch fire. Um, we're yet to see them kind of ball out by any conceivable metric. But they do feel solid, but not impenetrable. They do feel strong in attack, but not elite. And Frankie is amazing, but the others are okay. They're fine. Mm. They're a good tournament team though, aren't they, mm. the Dutch? They feel like a good tournament team. Mm. And that's helped by the fact that they are managed by Louis van Gaal, who is one of the best managers in this in this competition, and the Dutch, I've got this I've got this feeling that they've got the capacity to make teams against really good teams very tight, and then somehow sort of squeeze out on the right side of that. So that's kind of what I'm thinking for the Dutch, and I've got them just ahead of Argentina because I think that they're gonna they're gonna pip them, but I see this as a very very level battle. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if they play like they did against the US, I think Argentina will take them to pieces. Um, because I think if you give them that much time on the ball, you allow Argentina to, to that much space to make things happen and, and give them the options to play in front of you, then the Netherlands will struggle. Um, however, if they tighten that up and make sure that they are playing on the counter-attack and running at these centre-backs. And yes, there is, there's joy to be had here. I wonder how they're going to deal with this messy issue. I, I wonder if they are just going to give him to Frankie de Jong and be like, go one-on-one. But that would maybe take Frankie's best element out of this game. And therefore, I would I would question where he's going to go. And does Messi just sit between those two Dutch sixes on paper um, and, and, and just control the game? Because neither of them are quite sure what to do with him and what to spring forward. I think they might. No, I don't. I don't. I don't actually think they're going to have this much trouble with with with. They're going to. They're going to. I think they're going to be able to force Argentina into areas of the pitch that Argentina don't really want to go. And I think Argentina are going to struggle to find the ball back inside to Messi. I think the Dutch have have the shape and they have the personnel to do that. Also, I think with those that back three, if the strikers are splitting wide of the back three, Van Dijk can step forward and pin himself to Messi. You've got Frankie and one other to probably box him. If you force the ball wide and then don't let it back inside, that is how you hurt Argentina. That's how Alvarez's runs have really brought that back to life, you know, latterly, but not against a team of this calibre. I don't know. Mm. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna stodge this one. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine towards Netherlands. I mean, I, I love this fixture. I mean, Netherlands, Argentina, it's like a proper old school, like World Cup ding dong. Um, and it's just, the, stadium's, it the stadium's called the iconic, isn't it? It feels yeah. that way. It feels yeah. weird. underneath it on my wall chart. It just says Netherlands, Argentina, iconic. I'm like, you're yeah. damn right it is. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to just like imagine like, you know, a technically brilliant football match, this should be it. And I think like it might be. Um, you know, neither nation right now is 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 close to their peak when you consider their history. But they're both heading in the right direction at the moment, and they and they've both like turned a corner. So this is a massive moment for both of these nations who came into it with with big hopes. Um, I, I do give the edge edge to Netherlands. I, I just feel like the core of the team I probably trust more, and I think that the coach is a massive a massive sway as to where I'm looking like Louis van Gaal I, I just think has something special driving him here obviously like he's I know he's like not well and things like that and that's probably is a motivating factor within the camp too and they want to do it for him and there's there's this extra emotion attached to this moment um but also I I think that he's got to a stage of life where he'll just make bold decisions and not care and I feel like if there needs to be a big decision made in this game, he'll go for it. He'll see if he spots something, I don't know, whatever it is, a flaw in Argentina, or he has to take off a big player of his own because he spots a way to get out of Argentina. I think he'll do it. And, and I, I could just see him having a big moment here. It drops Van Dyke to play Martin De Rohn as a messy shadow. <laughs> it's yeah, on. Yeah. It's on. Louis Van Gaal do it. Louis Van Gaal's red army. Um, <laughs> I think with that, we are going to say goodbye to part one. Uh, and after the break, we are going to look through the four remaining teams in the quarterfinals. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to look at our remaining four quarterfinalists, ranking upwards in order of how likely they are to win the tournament. Remember, Sam, back to you. Okay, number four. I struggled over this one because Tuesday night put a real spanner in the works here, boys. But this is where Portugal land. Mm. Um, they've jumped up four places <laughs> overnight. They've, they've jumped up at least two, yeah. potentially three. Yeah. I don't think I'd have ever had them below Croatia, <laughs> but it's very possible that they maybe would have been for below L, Morocco. Yeah, maybe, really, know. it really would have been possible. But they're in at number four. I mean, look, guys, this is still going to be fresh for a lot of people. This only happened last night. As you're listening to this, we've been asking for it for. For years, really, on this podcast at least, but others have too. You know, we've wanted to see Portugal without Ronaldo. We've seen wisps of it over the years. You know, a bit of Andre Silva up front, a bit of Silva and Ronaldo, and then Ronaldo has to miss a, a pointless game against Lithuania or something. And, oh, does that look like it might be that Portugal looked quite good without him? Interesting. But we've never had a tournament sample, have we? A game that means everything. A knockout World Cup game. Ronaldo drops to the bench and Portugal just look liberated and that's that's the that's the operative phrase they just look fully liberated without him my problem my challenge here was to figure out how carried away to get on this one single performance against an admittedly shockingly bad switzerland a sh- a switzerland uh, they were getting to the looked, final weren't they i thought uh no i didn't i didn't i didn't take into account a couple of very important things <laughs> do you want to know what those things were 
Mm. Uh, they didn't bring a second right back. They decided they were going to play three at the back. That Portugal have other players in their squad that aren't Cristiano Ronaldo. I mean, I've, I, I've got all night. Oh, How long you, have you got? You, yeah, you, you said them all. Um, it was all or nothing on Sylvain Vidma. Um, no, I didn't anticipate Portugal playing their best striker. Uh, that's where I've gone downhill on this one. But uh, hey, here we are. Look, the Portuguese team, look, they had a wicked time out there. I'm really happy for them. They've gone out there in a World Cup knockout game and they have been backheeling the balls with each other, completing mazy dribbles. They scored six goals. They're interchanging positions. It was genuinely wonderful and they looked really, really frightening. This team was put into the hands of Bruno Fernandes and Joao Felix and they both played absolutely amazingly. Absolutely amazingly. So, how carried away do you want to get? I've gone with fourth. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I mean, my question marks over are, are, yes, you know, obviously there were extenuating circumstances as to why. Cristiano Ronaldo didn't play today. I don't think that Fernando Sanchez just made a tactical decision that he was going to leave him out. I, I just don't believe that to be the case. Um, he said in his press conference that he was pretty disappointed with Ronaldo's reaction to being substituted against South Korea. And I think that this was part of the fact that he has decided not to, not to play him today. Now, obviously, his replacement has come in and scored a hat-trick. How brave is Fernando Sanchez? He drops Raul Cancelo and Cristiano Ronaldo. Cancelo Ramos scores a hat-trick and Guerrero gets a goal and an assist. Does he go back to the team that he's been playing in the quarterfinal? Can he have that conversation with his captain? Who actually, you know what, I'm going to make a point here that I didn't think I was going to be making. I think Cristiano Ronaldo's been all right in this World Cup. Like, I, I, I think he's been okay. I think Portugal have played to his strengths. I think he's held the ball up well in the box. I think they've gone aerial. He's brought other players into play. Um, yes, he's finished. They could have been touch doing this. Been out. Yeah, they could I have agree. been doing this. No, no, no. Okay, hear me out. Does he help? Like, you know, he's, <laughs> can't get a word in edgeways these days. My own podcast. Um, I think that my you own go to, podcast. <laughs> yeah, I can stop if you want. It's one of those where you you look at this and you go right. I think he, they were they were doing fine and they were doing better with Cristiano Ronaldo than pretty much anyone had done this this in in a while. We haven't seen Cristiano Ronaldo play like that for a little while. So I was giving credit to Fernando Sanchez in that regard because he'd got something out of him in a way that maybe others had, had abandoned, and I think that was fair. Um, but then you look at this and you go, "Wow, that that's the different dynamic that Portugal can bring." And so you come to this point now and you go, "Wow, is he gonna is he gonna stick with this when we get to this quarter final?" Because if he does, and if he sticks with it through the end of this tournament, but even if, let's say that Portugal win the quarter, and let's say they win the semi, you know, just out of posterity, is he brave enough not to start Cristiano Ronaldo in a World Cup final? Because I don't think he is. And therefore, if he's not brave enough to do that, then what's the point in all this? Because if they're going to play really well for the next two games and they're going to get to the final and then be like, I'll stick him back in, he has to play as the captain then at, at what point do you go, well, that's going to diminish their chances again? Because how good they were tonight is a, a far, far cry from how they've played throughout this tournament so far. Depends yeah, on to win mean, or lose, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about how difficult it was to rank them based on, you know, all my factors. And then you just go ahead and add all that in to make it even more difficult. Now I have to second guess how big a coward Fernando Santos is in order to accurately replicate their ranking. I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer, mate. I really don't. But um, let's go Surely with it helps Ramos. It's Morocco. He doesn't Ramos need him. starts the next game. Yeah, Ramos uh, because, starts the next game. 
because the bloke just scored a hat-trick in a World Cup round of 16 game. He's scored more knockout goals in a World Cup than Ronaldo has. You know? so more goal, <laughs> he scored more knockout goals in the World Cup than Ronaldo and Messi have put together. Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. You don't drop this man. He's on fire. That first finish was absolutely outrageous. This is a man who wants to prove a point and he proved it. And Fernando Santos would be delighted, man. Absolutely delighted. The last thing he needed was for Ramos to miss a couple of sitters and drop a drop a five out of ten. He did the complete opposite. So here's Portugal. Here's what they probably are now. Free, fun, interchanging, liberated, very, 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 very dangerous. But to be fair, I said that I'd balance the argument for each team as we go through. And I think defensively they are still a bit suspect. I don't think Ruben Diaz has had a particularly good tournament. Um, he struggled with speed running at him or off him and positionally as well. And then had a, had a horrible moment with Braille and Bolo uh, on Tuesday night where he should have been booked within 10 minutes and, that, and it just somehow matched, just somehow escaped it. Um, Guerrero, we've always highlighted as a defensive question mark and that hasn't changed. And Pepe is nearly Dean's age. You know, he's not fast. Um, I guess so, I'm, I'm very fast, actually. Yeah, Dean's real quick. He's just, <laughs> uh, he's just only over 10 metres. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, Dean's James Corden. He's, he's not when I'm on one of those electric scooters, I'm not fast. <laughs> Even that new year old, it put you on a speed limit. Um, look, I mean, yeah, the defence is still the is still the weakness if there is a weakness to be had, and I think there's um, there's two or three players in the team that can that can be got at. And again, the elite attackers, the quicker attackers, they'll be looking at it. The question is, can you punish them enough? Can you get enough openings to outscore them? Because Portugal are going to score six every game from here, so you're going to have to score seven. I mean that would be a, that would be a World Cup I would pay to see. But it was just like, go on, try and outscore us if you can. I mean yeah. Morocco, surely they want Ronaldo to play. Yeah, that'd be, wouldn't that'd be, they? Yeah, of course. Like you know, everything revolves around even you know this game when he hasn't played. You know, the crowd like chanting his name, um, the camera keep panning to him, all the rest of it. Like of of course it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, I mean. At the moment, it's alive that we could we could yet have a Ronaldo Messi final. Um, I can't bear the thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not impossible. It's um, not impossible. But remember but that, that Morocco stage... Morocco have just come through a game against Spain, in which they've only really survived because Spain, while better, have they really lack a cutting edge, and. So if you're Morocco, like obviously the last thing you need here moving forward is to play is to play against those teams that do have that cutting edge. Does does Ronaldo give them that cutting edge? Well, based on this tournament, no. He's done little other than missed chances. Um, he's only scored one penalty. Dean's bet is still alive. He's scored nothing from open just... play. Um, does Ramos give them that cutting edge? It's quite possible. Man just scored a hat trick. He's feeling on top of the world. So yeah, if you're Morocco, you probably want to go want them to go back to the guy that hasn't scored an open play chance this tournament. Yeah, I think, I think that's pretty. Makes, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah, I think it makes it much more predictable, much easier to to play against. I mean, and you would have watched this and be like, "We don't need this. We don't need this. It's too unpredictable. We don't, we don't know. <laughs> we haven't seen enough of this guy. We don't. He, he's too happy. He's too confident. He's <laughs> uh, all the things that. Well, I guess Ronaldo's still confident. He's always going to be confident. But in the, there was a moment actually when he came on. You would have seen it, I'm sure, when a ball was played just ahead of him and he couldn't get yeah. to it. And it really wasn't that far ahead of him. And it really did feel like he was playing in a testimonial. And it, it was, I was actually shocked by it. Like, we've obviously seen a lot of Ronaldo still, even this season. Um, but I was like, oh my God, he really is 
so far off it now. And you just, you're in the quarterfinal of a World Cup here. Like, I mean, they were 5 1 up. Yeah, and he did say that finish. It was offside. Of it. That was a lovely finish. Yeah, he did score a great offside goal. Um, so if, the, if they're willing to change the rules of the game and let him have a three yard head start and his goals can count still, then fine. Otherwise, they're not going to score with him. Mm. Well, we'll see. They've scored. We'll other, see. other people have done the goals. Uh, that's fine. Let's move on to number three, Sam. Who's at three? Number three, I've put England Don't get here. it wrong. Ah, uh, he's got it wrong. Oh, <laughs> I was waiting for that response as soon as you went, don't get it wrong. Yeah, he's got like, it wrong. Go on then, Sam. Tell me why England are the third favourites to win the World Cup. I mean, I still feel quite uncomfortable saying it because I've been conditioned by failure over the last 25 to 30 years to think otherwise. But actually, we're very good. Um mm. We've got three clean sheets in a row. We've scored the most goals in the tournament still, even after Portugal puts put together six in one game. We've got zero yellow cards. Have we got Isn't zero yellow this? cards? Yeah. How are we the favourite stat of our World Cup? How are we the top scoring how are we the top scoring team with the best defence, with the cleanest disciplinary record, with the most upstanding young gentleman playing for us? Maybe that bit's not true. I don't really, I don't really get how we're top of all this. You've gone down the it's, Gary Lineker approach, haven't you? You've literally gone Gary Lineker. No yellow cards, <laughs> lots of goals. <laughs> Look, we're very good. We are. We've got great depth. We can turn to all sorts of different people when we need to to find the goals. But we have a world class number nine. We have a ton of brilliant supporting attackers. We have the mighty Jude Bellingham and the imperious Declan Rice. Kyle Walker's fit again, and we're brilliant from set pieces. We're just really good. Um, but I do find it quite hard to objectively assess us because naturally I'm biased. Also, I'm working against my own negative bias because I've been conditioned to say we're rubbish. So ranking us is really, really difficult. But in these sorts of situations, you just have to ask yourselves, all right, how many of the other teams that are left in this competition would do you think you could beat if you came up against them? And I think the answer is everyone except the two above us. So that is what I went with. And I think that the winner of the game between us and France will produce a finalist in this competition. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's that weird a take, I suppose. You are the two highest ranked teams in that side of the bracket, are you not? Uh, so Jimmy Conrad sent me a DM a few hours ago and it says, Dean, good luck against France, mate. You're going to need it. I wrote back, well, we're the second best team at the tournament. But yeah, you're right. We will need some luck because I'm sure we'll have some dodgy decisions going against us. Um, <laughs> like, all the, like all the dodgy decisions that have resulted in zero yellow cards. It may, it, it, something, something could go wrong for us uh, if we lose that game. But the thing, the, do you know what? The thing I... Killing I Mbappe. Like, <laughs> the thing I like about this England team is just like how you can just tr- trust them not to be... Silly, I guess. Like they, stuff they, like this. They're just sensible. And I like it. I like it a lot. And like in the past, we've had so much nonsense, like through Sven Goran Eriksson and Capello and all, all these weird stuff that has, has happened and stupid decisions that have been made and leaning on big name players that just clearly weren't going to deliver and you know, there have been a couple of flashes in the past where we probably should have done better and stuff. But, you know, maybe, I know a lot of people don't like Southgate because they consider him too cautious. And ahead, ahead of the Senegal game, all the chat was, why is Henderson playing? We don't need him for a game like this. He's basically man of the match by the, by the end of the evening. 
just trust the guy. Like just, I just fully trust Gareth Southgate right now. He's, this is a really serious England team. And, and what Gareth Southgate has managed to do is bring through a really decent bunch of lads. I don't like, I, I actually really, really like this team. I like all of them as individuals. I think like even the youngsters, like they, they don't have much, even the ones that do have ego and a bit of, seem to have a bit of brashness about them, just be a bit stupid. Like, I don't know, I mean, Jack Grealish, you know, goes and crashes a car in lockdown or whatever, wearing a slipper and a flip-flop, whatever it was. Um, <laughs> you, you hear him talk and he's he's so down to earth and such a nice guy. And like, he's so set on making an impact when he gets, he gets the chance. That I just, I just really like that we're heading into this game we're not favourites, I get it. Like, you know, most people will expect France to beat us. But I actually think we're on... It's a 50-50 game. I've, I really think that we're on a, we're in a 50-50 game here. And given what I've seen us do in the tournament so far, I quite fancy it. Of course we could lose it. Like, of course we can. But I actually think I would have given us the edge and, and said that we got the second best chance of winning the World Cup as we stand right now. Um, given the performances, given the number of goals we've scored, given the fact we've only conceded against Iran when the game was already dead. Um, I just like everything I'm seeing. And people be like, you like what you're seeing because it has been boring at times. I get that. It has. Like, you know, even watching the Senegal game, you're like, where's this coming from? Where's it coming from? And it's like they, they go through the motions, go through the motions, and it's like, bang. They go through the gears really quickly and the game's dead. It's done. Like, I haven't seen an England team do that before. Yeah, I mean it is it is pretty awesome to watch that happen. We do we do flick a switch and, and it's and it's over. Um but it's important to remember that before we flick that switch, we seem to give up some pretty damn good chances to the opposition. So like Senegal had a couple of opportunities there to go one nil up, and you never know how that changes the game. And the USA had a couple too. Weston McKenney puts one over the bar and you, you don't know where you don't know where that, that leaves you. Um Obviously, I'm I'm also very excited about our our, our opportunity here. I think we're brilliant, um, but we are not close to infallible. And there's just been maybe a couple of things that have gone our way early doors in games in this tournament so far that have just kept me on planet Earth with it. Yeah, I think there's also an element of, you know, this England team have done well to kind of dispel the myths of history in, in, in many ways over the last couple of years. The last time that England, here's one for you, Dean, you're alive. Uh, when was the last time that England beat a higher ranked nation in a knockout tie at a major tournament? Um, 2002, was it? Spain in 1996. Last uh, time, you know, th- this is... Penalties. That was on penalties. So like, this isn't a, is not a great... And that was the first time since 1966. You know, this is, this is a big ask. Yeah, but that doesn't really count for anything now. No, I just think, I mean, I saw this from friend of the pod, John McKenzie on, on Twitter. He said, so far, England have played Iran, low block, counter, talent mismatch. USA, aggressive mid-block, possession-ish, talent mismatch. Wales, low block, counter, talent mismatch. Senegal, aggressive man-to-man, counter, talent mismatch. We haven't really learned anything about how good they're going to be against better sides. We haven't really learned anything about if they're anything other than a high floor, low ceiling team. No, and this is our chance to do that, but... Um... Yeah, you know, we we have battered three out of the four of those teams, and that's all we could have done. And yeah, yeah, you can only play who's in front just, of you. But yeah. we talked about we talked about some of these teams earlier, and we were saying, you know, that this route to it has hasn't actually been all that difficult. I think you know we were talking about the Argentina side, right? Um, about who they'd played, and I think you could level the same argument 
but Argentina haven't battered those teams like we did. No, no, no. But I'm saying that you have to, yeah, you have to count in the fact that these teams aren't aren't good, aren't that good. Senegal are better, but missing what four of the team that started the Afcon final, five maybe. You know, yeah, this I mean, is... look, yeah, and the thing that will go against us in this fixture, obviously, like France are the reigning champions. Like France have a mentality of of winning that that we don't have. Um, so like historically, like in, in recent times, yeah, of course that, that is the edge that they have. They also haven't had a hard world cup so far. Um, Australia, Denmark, Tunisia, Poland. I don't feel like the, the, I guess the one reason I feel optimistic here is I, I don't think anyone's had a go at them. I don't think anyone's challenged France yet. Australia think... did right at the start, remember? That ended badly. <laughs> yeah, they did. They went one up. <laughs> then they shit themselves and they had to, wait. They had to sit back for 80, 85 minutes, whatever it was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I just hope that England can take the game a little more, I guess, to them. Because this, uh, I guess, approach that we've had with these other teams where we've kind of seen out the first half until we see a moment to pounce and then we kill it whenever that moment comes. You, you obviously can't do that so much against France because by then Kylian Mbappe would have scored a couple or Griezmann's come up with something, whatever it is. Like that is obviously the difference. But I'm just believing that we have the, a group of players here with a better mindset than past England teams I've watched. It's the third tournament in a row. It's probably Southgate's last last World Cup. Like it, it kind of all needs to come together on Saturday. Um, it will. Let's okay. see. Let's right. see. Let's, well, move, let's, let's move on to number two, shall we? Let's move us to two because in in number two is France, right? So it, it's again, it's linked. It's like, I do think that this is a relatively even encounter on paper heading into it. I agree with you, Dean. I've put France above them because I think they, they edge it. Um, I'd like to first of all congratulate them for breaking the World Cup curse. They are the reigning champions and they have made it out of the group. Now that mm. sounds really easy, but it's absolutely not. I mean, I've looked into this and it turns out that the curse was mistakenly reapplied to Germany due to a clerical error and they've been pushed out of the tournament two years running or two iterations running, having right. won it in 2014. Okay. So really, really bad news for Germany there. And I'm sure that they can sue or something like that. But France have been the benefactors. And despite that, despite all of the injuries, they are very, very good. They've been very scary to watch. I've enjoyed watching the opinion cycle on this team move from it's all about Mbappe to no, it's not all about Mbappe. Griezmann's amazing. The Bele's amazing. Giroud's amazing. They're all spectacular. And then it kind of went back to, yeah, but it's all about Mbappe, isn't it? And like, it's it's interesting how that debate moves. I mean, Mbappe is in demonic form. Five goals. Obviously, he's the one of those you know four or five attackers that can take hold of this game and just in the blink of an eye, just change it. The way he's hitting those shots against Poland is absolutely terrifying. Like, I don't want to see that. That is just <laughs> yeah. the... Not just the curve, but the the power on these. They're angry oh strikes God, of the ball. It's so yeah. scary. But Dean, yeah. you are right when you say that France can be got at. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure they can. I think they have two weaknesses. The first is that they are extremely passive defensively. They do not really press. There's little to no pressing. Mostly because Mbappe and Giroud don't want to do it or can't do it but that's it that's it they drop into a pretty passive defensive shell and it means that 
it doesn't make them weak. It just means that the other team gets the ball for like relatively long periods and can sustain some possession. And if France allow the ball to be given to other teams at this stage of the competition against teams like England, England obviously have the players that can create chances and actually hurt them. Um, so they're not really the kind of team that can shut a team out like Spain do. You know, Spain just don't let you have the ball. You starve. But France won't do that. And then the other weakness is Hugo Lloris's feet. They keep passing the ball to Hugo Lloris and he is terrible with the ball at his feet and they keep passing it to him on his right foot. He doesn't want to kick it on his right foot. He wants to kick it on his left foot and they keep giving him the ball in really tight areas when he's being closed down and there's been a few panicky moments, a few near misses. Honestly, if England aren't closing Lloris down with the ball at his feet, I'll be screaming at that television because this is the one simple way to create a problem against France. They will give Hugo Lloris the ball. We need to be putting him under pressure because he can't really do it. Yeah, I think you can force him into errors too. And I, th- I think that that's you know, in the air. Like, I, think, I think like from from like set pieces, I feel like England have got an opportunity here against France too. I don't think it's one of their massive strengths, like defending set piece. I think Denmark scored one, didn't they? I think they did them. score one, yeah. I mean, look, France are um, a big team, but, or a good, but we're a massive team. So yeah, it's always, I yeah. guess anybody, we are going to be looking at that set piece argument and going like, yeah, yeah we can get the better of them here. It's a really, look, it's a fascinating matchup and they're, I'm slightly concerned that Rabiot is going to have an absolute world. <laughs> I'm concerned that he's actually having a good tournament. He's and, having uh, a and great I've, tournament, mate. He really I've, is. I've, I have actually been really impressed by him. And I'm looking at that and thinking, oh, that's why Man United wanted to sign him in the summer. Maybe they should have done that. Maybe they um, should have done that. <laughs> and, and they definitely shouldn't for what it's worth. <laughs> that was still the right decision. <laughs> but the other thing here to consider in, the, in this matchup of two and three in England and France is... Will England be tempted to change formation? The answer is probably yes. But a lot of people, I read Alan Shearer saying today is like, stick to the four, stick to the four. Gareth Southgate is going to be like, but I could put Kyle Walker there, Ankier and Trippier there. But then you're obviously taking something out of the middle of the team. Unless you go 5-3-2, which he's never done. He's never done that. So I'm, I'm presuming it's a 5-2-3 if we do it. And... Everything makes sense defensively. Like, I don't, I don't mind the defensive setup. It's just what you lose in the middle of the field. And, like, having Henderson in there with Bellingham and Rice, I really like. I really like. But if you're going to do this thing to try to combat Mbappe by playing Walker as, like, that recovery runner, the guy that can keep up with him, but also having Trippier doing a job on him too down that side you're losing something else from the team. And, and that is something that is going to be giving them, I'm sure, a massive headache. You will lose something in the midfield, of course, and you'll be outmanned, literally outnumbered. But remember, it's like, you know, one point in favour of doing this is it is a 90-minute or 120-minute game. And Carl Walker, he just, Carl Walker, he cannot, stop Mbappe for 90 or 120 minutes on his own. He just he just can't do it. No. But if you but if you give him 65 minutes of assistance from Trippier and then if the game is in the balance or it's nil-nil or whatever, you can shift and make a more aggressive move with a substitute in the second half and take a player out of the back and put him into midfield. If you feel like there's an opportunity to go and win that game, that's okay. That's okay to do that, to start a little bit more cautiously, start with the five, double Mbappe, and then you know f- find a moment in the game where you think you can go and take control 
and make the move and take the gamble. Like that's possible. Yeah, mm. but what, what, what if England go 1-0 down? We haven't seen this yet in the tournament, right? We have seen France come from behind already. And if you go 1-0 down when you're playing as a 5, you go to a 4, you push forward. That's exactly what Mbappe wants. This is literally the game he's trying to play. Like, if you do it the other way around and you take the ascendancy, then you cut off that option. So, like, maybe the answer isn't that. Maybe the answer is to use the cliche, defence is the best form of attack. But anyway, this is this is by the by. I've actually got um, to go. This is stressing me out. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on to number one, Sam. It's Brazil. Is it now? Yeah. It's Brazil. Brazil yeah. are number one. Uh, I've used the, the word scary. The winner of England-France plays Brazil in the final. Yeah, That's I've basically used... it. Unless Portugal just play uh, this team for the whole thing, in which case they're winning it all. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Look, I've used the word scary a few times while talking about these teams and it, it really does apply f- for Brazil as well. Like it's just the attacking flow, the confidence, the composure, just the sheer impudence of, of all of it, really. That that South Korea game, okay, fine. South Korea set up pretty badly, but good Lord, you give Brazil a sniff and they punch you in the face, don't they? Oh my God, it's just like the two goals immediately, an absolute whirlwind of an attack. And then you compare that to the Serbia performance where Serbia showed Brazil a lot of respect and dropped into a, a five-man back line, blocked out the midfield in a, in a 5-3-2. And they tried their absolute best to stop Brazil from having any space. And Brazil just wore them down. Like it didn't happen quickly, but over the course of 60, 70 minutes, they just kept going and going and grinding and grinding. And they eventually just overwhelmed them. So Brazil have now played like, four games three with their first 11. They've battered everybody that they've actually tried to beat. They've played different game states. They've tried. Di- they've played different types of teams who have tried different things against them. And they look great. You know, Neymar is fit miraculously. Vinicius Jr. is looking amazing. And when all else fails, they have one of the best goalkeepers in the world. One of the two best goalkeepers in the world at the other end to, to bail them out. And I'm full of respect for Jordan Pickford and what, what, what he shows for England. And Lloris is a good shot stopper. But England and France don't mix that level of attacking verve with Alisson. We we don't have Alisson. Mm. France don't have Alisson. And for me, Brazil's position in the bracket here, obviously Croatia coming up, they're, they're pretty soft quarterfinal. They're overwhelming attacking strength. Alisson and the fact that they've passed multiple tests here. To me, it's all pointing to Brazil being in the final. And given they have the softest run, I'll put them at number one because they might just be the least exhausted team emotionally or physically by the time they get there, if they mm. get there. Yeah, they also just have like a ludicrous amount of talent on the bench. And I know that yeah. a lot of these teams do. I know that, that England do. I know that France do. But sometimes when Brazil empty the bench, you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like Especially, obviously, you know, best wishes to, to Gabriel Jesus, who's, who's been sent home with an injury. But... Yeah, they bring on Gabby Martinelli against tired legs. You're like, oh god, that man is absolutely desperate to score. Like he, he really, really wants it. You got Anthony running around doing doing his thing on the other side. You have got Rodrigo playing as a ten. You're like, it's oh god, they, they've just got everyone, haven't they? If all else fails, they can bring on Bruno Guimaraes, who's probably been the best midfielder in the Premier League this season. But oh, okay, cool, no worries. It's just like no, no big deal. It's just ludicrous. The amount of talent yeah. and depth in this side is just. Simply sensational, and I don't think there's going to be many people, Sam, after what we've seen so far, who would disagree with this perception of them as number one right now. Well, I mean, yeah. to be honest with you, we're looking at we're looking at three top the top three teams here: Brazil, France, England. I'm, 
in we've we've sort of said in so many words, either directly or indirectly, throughout this process as we've been ranking them, like they haven't really played a top team yet. Obviously, most of these teams have not had to play a top team just yet, and like Brazil haven't for sure. England Which haven't. Brazil have already played Serbia, who we all know were big dark horses for this tournament. <laughs> yes, of course. They haven't played top teams. So the fascinating part of all of this is, yes, we can sit there and analyse their four games. But what happens? What happens when they meet each other? And we're like, we're about to get our real proper first taste of that, I feel. And it's going nom, to be fascinating. Nom, nom. It's going to be fascinating. Nom, nom, like, There's nom. absolutely yes. nothing guaranteed here. We think we know. We think we know how these teams are shaping up. We think we've got their approximate strengths. We don't know yet. We don't know yet, but we're about to find out. Yeah, you know nothing, Jon Snow. Right, that brings us to an end for part two and that main ranking. We're going to be a quick goodbye to some of our fallen friends in part three as we say goodbye to some of the World Cup's more entertaining characters. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our third and final part. We're going to say goodbye to some of the people we've lost along the wayside at this World Cup. Dean, you're going to start us off. Uh, I mean, I wasn't particularly sorry to see Spain go because, you know, um, it, it's nice to see some big nations go because it, it, it helps you <laughs> later in the tournament. Um, but Luis Enrique was having the time of his life at this tournament. Um, you know, He's, he had two big jobs. One was managing Spain and one was becoming one of the best live streamers in the in the football game. <laughs> um, <laughs> his Twitch was... It, it seemed like he was just loving having this extra extra thing to his... Um, to his character, I guess, as a, as a football manager. And he, and he just made the most of it. You know, he, he basically said, I like to be doing these streams. I like to talk. I've always liked to talk. And now I, I get the opportunity to just chat. And some of the stuff he talked about was, was pretty wild. I mean, there was obviously a lot of conversation about uh, Ferran Torres because he, he's going out with his daughter. So, you know, there was sometimes he was backing him and uh, saying, you know, why he would play him. And then there was other times when he said, if Ferran Torres scores and does the baby celebration, I'll be taking him off, sending him to the stands and he won't step on the pitch again. Um, <laughs> then he's, he's uh, revealed he'll be supporting Argentina from now on. He's He said if Spain don't win the World Cup, then he would want Argentina to win it because he thinks it's unfair that Messi would retire without one. So now we know that, that he will be uh, supporting them. Um, and of course, he was also... I think this one probably got the most headlines is when he spoke about uh, whether players should be allowed to have sex before matches. He said it, it's something totally normal. I mean, if you're at an orgy the night before a match, then that's not ideal. But hey, <laughs> uh, when I was a player, I was at home before a game with my wife and, you know, we did what we had to do. Uh, <laughs> like, what a man and what a World Cup he's had. And probably remember too, like he, he did have the team playing some outrageous football at times. So I'll miss Luis Enrico. Yes, uh, I will too. I will also miss Lucho, well, a, a character of the highest form and uh, a man who's gone through significant, you know, obviously personal troubles in the true, in the last true. couple of years. So it's been, I'd imagine, a difficult time for him as well. You know, it was yeah, definitely, the, yeah, the anniversary of, of his daughter's death during the World Cup, and and so there's a lot to there was a lot so to kind tough, of take yeah. from it. So yeah. yeah, I will I will too miss Lucho. Um, the player I'm going to put forward for this, though, is Cameroon's Vincent Abubakar. Um, <laughs> now, I don't mind. There are certain players, right, who talk a big game. 
Vincent Abubakar talks a massive game. He came back and doubled down on his criticism of Mo Salah before this World Cup, saying, I just don't, I'm not that impressed with him. I could do what he could do, but no big club has ever signed me. He'd gone, okay, fine. And then people got angry and he doubled down. He's like, I'm just, I'm, I'm not having it. He's like, this is just, this is how good I am. He's not that good, etc. And I'm going, okay, all right. Yeah, well, he's got the eyes on. Then he gets dropped as captain for the first game. He doesn't start. And you're like, oh no, this is not good vibes. You know, you can't be making these kind of statements and not playing. They lose that game to Switzerland. And you're going, it's not looking pretty for a move guard. Gets the second game. He doesn't start that one either. And you're like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. And he comes on against Serbia. And within about five minutes, he scored the most ridiculous goal of the World Cup. Scoop chipping the goalkeeper. Thinks he's offside. He's not offside. He does a little dance. Does it again five minutes later and sets up Tuba Moting for the equaliser. And you're going, all right, Abubakar has taught the big game. And now he's and now he's played the big game. And I'm like, I rate that. <laughs> I rate that so much. It's a bit like, you know, I'm going to use a Game of Thrones reference because why not? Um, there's a scene in Game of Thrones where Edmund Tully is trying to, Ed Muir Tully is trying to fire a bow and arrow into his father's like casket, which is floating down a stream. And it's sent to set the thing on fire. And his uncle's just sort of staring at him. His uncle Brendan's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Anyway, he grabs the bow. He takes one shot and he fires it into the thing. And as the, the arrow's still in the air, he throws the bow back at Edmure. And I'm like, that's what Abubakar's just done. That's <laughs> what he's just done. And then he scores the winner in the game against Brazil. Brazil B, ultimately fine. He scores the winner. First ever African nation to beat Brazil at a World Cup. He takes his shirt off. He knows he's being sent off. He doesn't care. He's like giving the ref a hug while he's sending him off. Vansat Abubakar, he, he talked the big talk. He walked the big walk, right? He came, he saw, he conquered. Goodbye, my king. <laughs> Mic drop. Loved it. Loved it. Follow What's that. Up, yeah. What have you got, Sam? Oh, I've got nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so geez i mean look um i thought i'd go a bit i don't think i can pick out a single case that can match obubakar's energy there so i'm going to go a little bit broader and say that i'm going to miss the majority of the afc the asian teams because they're all out now unfortunately um Mm. i mean look some of them we're not going to miss i won't miss qatar i hope i never have to see them play again (laughs) i don't think i'm going to miss iran that much either but tunisia fantastic stuff Saudi Arabia. I'm going to miss Hervé Renard. I'm really going to miss that man. He's he's a handsome devil. He picks up some pretty bold tactical ideas and he gives his teams a shot at creating amazing upsets that the world will forever remember. But I think most of all, from the AFC, I'm going to miss Harry Sutar's long-range pings. (laughs) I regret to inform you that for the foreseeable future, maybe forever, I'm never going to see him kick a ball again because I'm not going to watch Stoke City. So that means I don't get to watch Harry Sutar play any longer. And that makes me very sad because of what a tournament he had. Four games, definitely team of the tournament after the, after the three games and after four. Maybe he makes it through after seven, we don't know. But Harry Sutar, what a performance. And Australia, what a performance. Yeah, yeah very good. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Well done. Good good, good way to uh, skirt skirt the topic and do it well. And also like name about five teams. We're like, yeah, we'll miss you. Bye. Um, Bye. I appreciate, appreciated it. Who um, won't we miss? Who won't we miss? Poland. Won't we miss? I, I won't miss Poland, no. <laughs> I'm not going to miss Poland. I'm not going to miss Denmark. And I didn't think I'd be saying that before the tournament. I won't miss Belgium. No, no. Mm. No one will miss Belgium. No one's going to miss Belgium. Um, no. And I won't miss, I won't Wales. miss Wales. They were, they were atrocious. 
Yeah. I hope Miss Wiles. Yeah, so so there we have it. There are some things oh. we won't miss as well. Um, but on that bombshell, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much. The birthday boy, king of the andals and the first man, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. I'm going to uh, enjoy these couple of days of no football and then uh, straight back into it. Uh, we're going to be revved up for the weekend. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Thank you very much to our rank god, our head of dispatch and Norwegian Basque third choice goalkeeper, Mr. Santa. <laughs> it's getting tougher and tougher, isn't it? Cheers, mate. Uh, I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, we are still doing World Cup daily episodes on every match day over on the Patreon. There's still a couple of big ones there for you to get involved with. So if you fancy it, it's the start of a month. Why not come and get involved over there? The link, as ever, is in the description of this podcast. We've been Rax FC. Thank you so much for listening, as ever. Take care, gang. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothies, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.